We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everybody. What is going on? How you doing? Welcome to a midweek Wednesday episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, if that's your sort of thing, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you very much for locking in. This is going to be an audio-only podcast today. Doing a solo, too, so it's not going to be a particularly long one. So on Tuesday, I did a show with my buddy Joe from Queens. Immediately, we taped it late, late Monday after the Bills uh, pummeled Tennessee. And we had an immediate reaction podcast. Uh, I don't really like doing those, to be honest with you, man. I um, One of the biggest reasons why, when I first started this podcast, I landed on Tuesdays and Fridays as the typical episodes. And then we would have a... You know, sometimes a bonus episode on a Wednesday or whatever is because for the most part, the Bills play on Sundays and I like to have a, a night to sleep on the game before I kind of formulate my thoughts, my, my biggest takeaways from the game. Now, the Bills played on Monday night, of course, this week, so kind of had no choice but to immediately start recording and going after it right after the game ended. But now I want to come back today that I've had a chance to sleep on some things and, and come with, uh, we're going to call it 10, my 10 biggest Buffalo Bills takeaways. Then I also have five um, NFL takeaways as well. So I'll get into that in just a minute. By the way, if you didn't listen to the podcast yesterday, pretty good one, man. Joe did a good job. We, bro- we broke down the game, the good, the bad, the ugly, some of those points. I'll kind of elaborate a little bit more today. Uh, before we get going, just a couple things. The uh, episode releases for Talk Buffalo podcast lately, if you've noticed, and if you're a regular listener, hopefully you have noticed, it's been uh, sporadic. There's just been a lot of stuff going on for me the last couple weeks, and I just kind of want to let you guys know what's going to be going on now for more than the past year or so. Um, I've done Casual Friday with Joe Yurden. We usually tape that sometime on Thursday. I drop that every Friday. That is coming to an end. In fact, it might have come to an end already. However, by no means is Joe done uh, doing this podcast. We're just kind of, uh, we're, we're switching things up. We're moving things around. Fridays became, between myself, my schedule, and his schedule, it got to a point where it was getting really hard to consistently uh, do those episodes and a couple things happened over the last few weeks where we actually missed back-to-back episodes. So I had a conversation with Joe and where we landed on is we're going to start doing a weekly episode on Tuesdays. So I'll be able to tape with him on Mondays at some point. It just works out much better for both of us. The, uh, the flexibility sometimes, you know, on Thursday, it was getting to a point where I had to tape with him either early in the morning or very late at night. And things would come up and it would be hard. Now on Mondays, I'm a lot more flexible as is Joe. So we're going to start doing our our weekly episodes. Obviously, it's not going to be called Casual Friday anymore. We'll have to come up with something for Tuesdays. But that'll be every Tuesday going forward. Not sure. Again, it's going to depend on schedules. 
if I'll have Joe on this Friday. And the regular Tuesday show with Joe actually won't be starting next week. It'll start the week after that. I already have uh, Matt Fairburn from The Athletic. Of course, Matt is uh, covering the Buffalo Sabres now and I'm still locked in plenty with the Bills. So Matt's going to be on the show next Tuesday. I think the Tuesday after that, I'll start doing our weekly show again uh, with Joe. Same concept, you know, talking Bills, Sabres, just chatting. Uh, We'll do our starting five draft, which I know a lot of people who listen and watch the show enjoy a lot. So that's going to be on Tuesdays. Also on Wednesdays, not every Wednesday, but at least a couple times a month, going to start getting out and doing live tapings again at, at different wing places. I did a series called the Finer Wings Club. That was a lot of fun and, and people like that, but I have not done that in quite a while. Anyway, we're going to pick up with that at least a couple times a month. I'll have different guests on each time taping from a, a different wing spot over wings. And we'll put that out there beforehand. So if people want to come by, swing through wherever we're taping at that night and, and say, hello, you're more than welcome to. So that'll be on Wednesdays. Not quite sure what I'm going to do with Fridays yet, but the plan soon enough is to be is going to be having three shows a week, Tuesdays and Fridays all the time. And then I'm going to try to get something on Wednesdays, whether again, whether it's Final Wings Club or just having a, a rotating guest. So Joe will be on every Tuesday, rotating guests on Wednesday. Not quite sure what I'm going to do with Friday yet, but I definitely plan on uh doing something. So I just want to let you guys know that a quick programming note here in case you're wondering uh, what's been going on. So between now and the next week or so, just going to do a podcast whenever either I have an opportunity to do it or I have a uh, a guest to have on with me. So just to let you know that enough blabbing here me at the top, I want to, and again, I won't take up a lot of your time, but I have, after sleeping on it and going through some notes and doing some thinking and rewatching the game again as well, by the way, I rewatched the uh, the entire game again. I have what I, I'm going to call them my 10 biggest takeaways from the Buffalo Bills. And then, like I said, I got five for the NFL as well. I'm not going to waste any more time here. Been blabbing long enough. Let's just uh, jump right into it. My first takeaway is, you know, only the Tennessee Titans not being competitive enough. That's the only thing to stop Josh Allen for going for 400 yards passing and Stephon Diggs for 200 yards receiving or more. Uh, respectively, Josh threw for 317 yards, four touchdowns, and Stefan Diggs had 12 catches for 148 yards and three touchdowns. And of course, neither saw the field in the fourth quarter, the entire quarter. Selfishly, as a Bills fan, I kind of wanted, I'm being honest with you, man, I kind of wanted uh, Tennessee to score. When Matt Milano took that pick six back, and I think that's what made it 41-7, I believe so. I was actually rooting for Tennessee to come down and do something. Then they pulled, they pulled Ryan Tannehill right after that. But I kind of wanted the Titans to score a touchdown after that. I'm being honest with you. Only because I wanted to see more of Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. Why wouldn't you? you know, it's, so, it's so fun to watch this team play football right now. And no disrespect to Case Keenum, but, you know, again, as a fan and... uh it's fun to blow a team out. Don't get me wrong. I like that. And it's it's also, there's no stress. You know, it, it's fun from that aspect to to play a, a credible opponent in a primetime game and get to the fourth quarter and you're, you're just chilling out and having conversations uh, with your friends or you're tweeting or you're posting on Facebook or whatever because the game's at hand. There's no drama. There's no anxiety. There's no stress. I appreciate that aspect of it as a fan. But at the same token, I kind of wish... Tennessee would have been good enough or competitive enough, I should say, to at least be within somewhat striking distance just so Josh and Stefan would have stayed on the field. I mean, they're so good. They play so well together. I, I just wanted to see more. I wanted to see more. And, you know, you go back to Sunday and, and you watch Tua throw for 429 yards, I think it was, or six touchdowns. I'm like, all right, well. Shit, man, maybe Josh could have done that as well and matched that on Monday. You know, Tyreek Hill had 170 yards receiving. Stefan had 148, three touchdowns. Didn't even play the fourth quarter. I don't know. I just like to see gaudy numbers. And it would have been a lot of fun if Tennessee would have been competitive enough to keep Josh and Stefan out there a little bit longer. And again, I know I need to look at the big picture. 
It's about W's. It's not about personal stats. So you don't have to preach to me about that. I get it. I'm just saying, as a fan, it's not a lot of fun to watch Case Keenum hand the ball off to, to, to Cook 18 times in a quarter or throw a pass at Shakir's ankles. You know what I'm saying? Um, it just would have been a, it would have been fun to watch Stefan and Josh play a little bit longer only because again, they're just so much fun to watch. It's just, it's art. It's art. So anyway, that, that was my first takeaway. Um, sticking with Stefan Diggs. My second takeaway from this game is without question, Stefan Diggs to me was the best player on the field. You know, I actually, I shouldn't say without question and only because that would be doing a disservice some other guys on the team who certainly deserved uh, consideration. Uh, Greg Rizzo, we'll talk about in a few minutes. He was outstanding. Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. These guys were really, really good. Of course, Josh Allen. But for me, Stefan Diggs was just far and away the best player on this field. And I'm going to tell you right now, what he did, and it didn't matter who was out there try, trying to guard him. I felt bad. That rookie, Roger McCreary, who I liked, by the way, coming out of this draft, I would have liked to have seen Buffalo draft him, quite frankly. but. Whether it was Roger McCreary, whether it was Caleb Farley, uh, the second round pick from a year ago, Chris Jackson was out there. He he was just making him look foolish, man. It was uh it was if you're a Tennessee fan, it's embarrassing. I mean, the route running and uh lowering the shoulder. He he was bullying them, he was finessing them, he was doing every single thing with them. I'm gonna tell you right now, I think Stefan Diggs is the best wide receiver the Bills have ever seen. Now, I'm not saying like, if you're going to make an all-time Buffalo Bills wide receiving list right now, top Buffalo Bills wide receivers of all time, Andre Reid's going to be number one. He deserves it. But that's only because of tenure, how long he played in Buffalo. And Andre Reid's a spectacular receiver. I mean, he's literally an NFL Hall of Famer. But Stefan Diggs, what he does right now, he's playing at a level I've never seen any Bills receiver ever play at, even including Andre Reid. He's played 35 games with the Bills so far. He's already got 250 catches. He's already over 3,000 yards now. So 3,030 yards. And he's caught 22 touchdown passes. 22 touchdowns in 35 games. 220 catches, or I'm sorry, 250 catches. 3,030 yards. 11 of his 35 games with the Bills have went for over 100 yards receiving. Stefan Diggs, best player on the field. Last night anyway. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm ready to say it. I think he's the best wide receiver the Buffalo Bills have ever had. Now, he needs to have two, three more years similar to what he's doing now and what he's done his first two years in Buffalo if you want to consider him the best Buffalo Bills wide receiver of all time when you make these historical teams down the road. But in terms of talent and production and route running and well, maybe not toughness, because Andre Reid was a tough-ass son of a bitch. But just the total package, I think Stephon Diggs already is the best wide receiver I've ever seen on this team. That's my second takeaway. Uh, my third, I'm not going to lie, I was concerned. You know, just generally speaking, I was concerned coming into this game on, on Monday night against Tennessee for a couple reasons. Number one, we all know that Tennessee has played Buffalo tough in recent years. In fact, they've beaten the Bills the last two years and Derrick Henry scored five touchdowns against the bills over the last two games. Ryan Tannehill has played excellent against the bills over these previous two years, three touchdown passes, only one interception. And most importantly, his butt never hit the ground. He did not get sacked once in the last two years. Again, two tight end victories. One of them in 2020 was kind of a, a blowout. I think it was like 42, 16. So I had some concern about that, just the recent history with Tennessee. But also, I was extremely concerned about the Bills' injuries coming into this football game. Ed Oliver is one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. Really came into his own last year. And at some point when he's healthy, I expect him to be even better this year with all the talent around him on this line now. But anyway. You have no Ed Oliver. You have no Tim Settle, who I think is a very good backup defensive tackle. Very good. They're both out. Well, we kind of knew that all week. We anticipated that. You know, they didn't practice all week. 
It was it was that Oliver with the uh, the ankle that he hurt against the Rams and Tim Settle, who's had a lingering calf injury for a while now. But we were prepared. We kind of knew that. Saturday is when the curveball came and Gabe Davis had a non-contact sprained ankle injury at practice. He was questionable. And then they were leaning doubtful. We saw all the reports on Monday and then it came out that he was out. Now, I'm not going to lie. That concerned me. I guess my takeaway is it's insane how little having great players like Ed Oliver and Gabe Davis were missed in this football game. It just didn't matter. Now, there were other injuries too, which we're going to get to in a couple minutes. But if you would have told me the Bills are going to come out on Monday Night Football against a, a good football team, even though they didn't look good in week one, they're, they're, they're still a credible football team. And they would absolutely embarrass them and, and manhandle them and pummel them without Ed Oliver and without Gabe Davis. You put up 41 points on offense. Well, 34 of it was offensively. Uh, Milano had a pick six. But still, 34 points you put up on offense without Gabriel Davis. I, I, I probably wouldn't have believed it, to be honest. I should believe it, but I probably would not have believed it if you told me that 30 minutes before game time on Monday night. So, yeah, it's just crazy to me how little they missed Ed Oliver, Tim Settle, and Gabe Davis. Uh, another takeaway, this will be, what is this, uh, four? Yeah, my fourth takeaway now. I've been very... Uh, over the last couple of years, critical to an extent, at least. I mean, not overly critical. Not like some crazy people on Buffalo Twitter, Bill's Twitter, who who love to hate on Tremaine Edmonds. I don't think I've ever went that far, but I'm also not, I haven't been a big fan of him. I, I think he's lacked impact plays. He puts up tackles. I know he's good in coverage. I know the coaches love him. I know other teams around the league respect him and they, and they think more highly of him. Than, uh, than fans do. But for me, what I saw on Monday night, this might have been my personal favorite game of Tremaine Edmonds' career with the Buffalo Bills. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And again, I said a couple minutes ago, I thought Stefan Diggs was the best player on the field. Tremaine Edmonds was not far behind him, folks. He was really good. You know, he always gets tackle numbers. And again, he's good in coverage. But we saw Tremaine Edmonds on Monday night aggressive, flying to the ball, penetrating the line of scrimmage. He had two tackles for a loss. He had a sack, which I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm telling you right now, I can probably count on less than one hand the amount of sacks that Tremaine Edmonds has for his entire career. And this is his fifth year. He had a sack. He got a hand on a football that ultimately was intercepted in the third quarter by Jordan Poyer, a big, a big play in the game too. I thought Tremaine Edmonds was outstanding. And I thought he was impactful. And I thought he did the one thing, the biggest problem that I have with him throughout his Bills career is his lack of impact plays, splash plays. That was not the case on Monday night. I thought Evans was awesome. I thought it was the best game of his career. Next take right behind that, Matt Milano. He was right there too. I don't want to say it's the best game of Matt Milano's career because he's had a lot of good games and he made a lot of big plays. Kind of a different player than, than Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds, I think, is a little more, uh, well, he's, he's more athletic, and I think Tremaine might be a little more consistent. But Matt Milano has those games, those impact games that you you remember. So this wasn't like the first time he's had a, an impactful game, but it was one of his best. Again, he, that pick six, he, he read Tannehill perfect. Slid right in, made it look easy, picked it off, took it to the house, 41-7. That's a wrap. Starters out after that. But beyond that, man, he had a couple really aggressive, nice sticks. And one of them was on Henry, too. I remember that. I thought Matt Milano was, uh, was awesome. And least my next take, I'm sticking with the defense again here, man. Because there's just so much, there's so much good to talk about when it comes to this defense. I tweeted about this. I think Greg Rizzo has, like, legitimate NFL star potential. I really do. And this is my sixth takeaway, by the way. He uh he he might be already in just his second year one of the better edge setting run defensive ends in the entire NFL. And I think people are starting to see that now. I know he had a high win rate, like the advanced stats showed statistically he was good last year as a rookie doing this, but he he just looks 
so much better this year already. Just setting the edge. He, again, he had a beautiful read and a tackle in the backfield on uh, on Derrick Henry, which, by the way, lots of people had tackles in the backfield on Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, who's ran wild against the Bills in the past, or at least had chunky runs. Uh, I think he had, what, 15 carries, 25 yards on Monday night. The Bills just absolutely, I mean, he had a touchdown, but whatever, who cares? They The, the Bills were just all over him. Um, Anyway, four tackles. Three of them solo and two of them for a loss. But maybe the most impressive thing about Greg Rousseau was that very last play before the half. Dane Jackson had went down, very scary, long pause. The ambulance comes out and you're, you're concerned about how the Bills are going to react watching their teammate get carried out. Tennessee had the ball. I'm like, shit, man. At the time, it was only 17 to seven late in the last minute of that second quarter. You know, if Tennessee gets down and, scores a touchdown or even kicks a field goal. They go in the locker room just down one score. Anyway, that play, for the first time I've ever seen anyway, Greg Rizzo lined up on uh, as a defensive tackle, and he just bull rushed. I, I want to say it was Nate Davis, the guard. It was either Nate Davis or Aaron Brewer. I don't remember what guard it was, but it was their left guard. He just lined up, pushed him back, bullied him back, got right into Ryan Tannehill, sacked him, and at that point, Mike, Mike Vrabel just doing the towel and Tennessee didn't even run another play. And they went into the locker room and it was 17-7. Greg Rizzo, to me, looks like somebody who's ready. Maybe not quite yet, but he's getting there. He's going to be a legitimate NFL star defensive end for the Buffalo Bills. So that's a takeaway. Um, another one, again, I'm stick with the defense yet again. The reemergence of, of Jordan Phillips to me, is just fascinating to watch. I, again, I watched this game again, and I'm like, I, I thought this guy was even better re-watching the game than I thought he was when I was watching it live on Monday night. He had um, no sacks, but he had two tackles. He had a, a quarterback hit on third down on Tannehill's. He was throwing the ball that forced a punt. He has more than held his own with Ed Oliver out for most of the first two games. Jordan Phillips had two sacks, and I think he had like six pressures, something crazy like that against the Rams. And when I say the reemergence of Jordan Phillips, it's just crazy because we all remember Jordan Phillips here in Buffalo, the year they broke the drought, six and a half sacks. I I think he had that season with the Bills, something like that. Anyway, he was a, I remember people saying he was a, a splash guy. Like he would have, he'd make some sacks, but then he would disappear for large stretches. But anyway, the big, the big debate was, was he worth big money? And the Bills ultimately decided no. And he left. And he went to Arizona. And I don't want, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan or that I sat there and watched a bunch of Arizona Cardinals football because I didn't. But what I could tell you is that when he was with Arizona, Jordan Phillips' stock plummeted. So fast forward to this offseason. You know, all the talk was because Shaq Lawson was openly talking about coming back to the Bills. Jordan Phillips was on Twitter tweeting about the Bills, rooting for the Bills last year in the playoffs. Sure enough, Jordan Phillips rejoins the Buffalo Bills. And he's as good, if not better, than before he left. Again, we're only two games in, but this guy is just making plays, man. I, I don't know what else to say about Jordan Phillips. It's just... This defensive line as a whole, man. Holy shit. Again, you lose that Oliver and Tim Settle, and you're not even hurt against them. You know, they, they don't even hurt you not having those guys in the lineup. A big reason for that, and I know Von Miller gets and deserves a lot of credit. He sure as hell deserves it too. And we already talked about Rizzo and AJ Hippodessa played really good against the Rams. Boogie Basham's done some things. But man, Jordan Phillips has been one of the better players on the Buffalo Bills over these first two games, man. A um, couple more takes. I got three of them. Uh, and, and these are kind of like a little bit on the on the negative side, bigger takeaways. I hate it. If there was one thing about this game that I hated for the Buffalo Bills, I would say this. The, the schemes, the looks that they gave Tennessee and, and their execution, quite frankly, when it would be third and one, was really annoying. Three times they had third and one. And three times they did not convert. Um, 
I remember the first time they ran out of a shotgun on 31, and it was a handoff to Zach Moss, and, and he got stopped uh, for no gain. And then the next play, which, again, really annoyed me, was there was confusion. Josh it took a long time for Dorsey to get the play into Josh Allen. You could see it. It was just chaotic and, and frantic. They get to the line. Uh, Khalil Shakir, who was playing in his first NFL game, lined up on the wrong side. And by the time Allen got him over to the right side, the clock was about to run out. Then Shakir completely whiffed out a block. And uh, Josh Allen got away with uh, one of the few mistakes he made. I mean, it was fourth down. It would have been a turnover on downs regardless. But anyway, my point was this. They ran out of the shotgun on third, gave it to Zach Moss, no gain. Fourth down was even worse. There was another uh, series where it was 31 again. Out of, they ran out of the shotgun again. It was an incomplete pass to Jay Kumrow, which is one of the very few throws Josh Allen made the entire game. And then they were going to go for it on fourth and one, but Van Rodden, um got a false start penalty. The defensive tackle, I'm sure you remember, he kind of briefly went in the neutral zone, but then he got back, and then Van Rodden, um touched his helmet. So, but that was a penalty anyway, long story short. Fourth and one became fourth and six, and they ended up settling for a, a Tyler Bass field goal. And then there was another third down, third and one, yet another shotgun formation, um, a, a false start on Mitch Morris. But they ended up getting five yards. It was a five-yard pass to Knox. And then on the next play, it was fourth and one. And Josh Allen scrambled and found Stephon Diggs in the end zone for a touchdown. And then one other one, third and one again. Shotgun again. You get in the theme here? Incomplete pass to Dawson Knox. And they ended up punting. I, I guess my complaint is this. I, I hate the shotgun on third and one. Especially if it's like third and a half yard, which it was at least two of those times. I mean, you're going to run around. You're going to have Josh Allen with these design power runs, although they did not do that against Tennessee. Josh only carried the ball once, and it was an impromptu scramble for 10 yards, which was a hell of a play by Josh. But anyway, put Josh over center. Have him either you could sneak the ball or you could give a quick handoff, to whether it's Moss, whether it's Singletary, whoever. You know what I'm saying? Those bang-bang plays. I hate when not just the Bills, but any team, when it's third and one and they're in a shotgun. It just takes away so many possibilities. If Josh is under center, again, he can sneak the ball. He can hand up the Moss. He can take it himself. It could be a play-action pass. There's just so much more they could do. I don't like the shotgun, especially if you're going to try to run the football. My, my thought with Zach Moss is this, and I know he had a really nice run in the second half, but that aside, if you're, it seems like there's a lack of trust in the Bills to, to be able to get a yard when they need it on the ground. And if that's going to be the case, man. If you can't trust Zach Moss to get you a yard in short yardage situations, then to me, Zach Moss dressing up on game day is almost useless because that's what he's there for. You know, Singletary's the balance guy. James Cook's the speed guy, the guy who catches the ball out of the backfield. To me, Zach Moss is the guy who comes in there and gets you the tough yards. So I didn't like that. I did not like the build. They were 0 for 3 on third and ones. Did not hurt him, obviously, against Tennessee, but that could hurt him down the road. They need to execute better on third and short, and I think Josh needs to be under center, and I, and I think they should be trying to run the ball on third and one. Trust your line, trust your running back to get a yard. Again, and, they, and Zach Moss did get stopped for a no gain, but again, that was out of the shotgun the one time they ran him on third and one. So that was my one probably nitpick about the game. Uh, didn't love a couple, like Sean McDermott too. He should, he definitely should have called timeout when he realized that Shakira was lined up wrong and it was getting close to the, uh, the end of the plan. Fourth and one McDermott should have absolutely called timeout. Maybe he didn't because he blew a timeout the drive before that. Um, when Tennessee on, on a challenge call, which was a horrible, horrible challenge. I mean, it wasn't even close. I'm not going to completely bl blame Sean McDermott for that. That's more on the guys upstairs. I'm sure they told him initially to challenge because it looked like McDermott was unhappy the second he challenged that. But anyway, just little nitpicks there. Uh, the two other takes I have, one of them is very obvious. The injuries, you know, we talked about a few minutes ago. I talked about Ed Oliver and Tim Settle and Gabe Davis not hurting them. Injuries are a concern now. They have to be. We all saw what happened on Monday night. Dane Jackson with the neck, 
which by the way, I will say, I, I waited to record this on late Tuesday afternoon until after the Sean McDermott presser, which uh, he spoke on, on, on Tuesday late afternoon. No new details. Uh, Dane Jackson released from the hospital. All things considered, he's doing great, good spirits. That's the only term that McDermott really used. They're taking things day by day. He said that too. But uh, I, I don't even want to speculate on how long Dane Jackson might be out. I, I have no idea. But anyway, Dane Jackson going down, who for now is their top corner with Trey White out. That is a concern for sure. He's probably going to miss some time. I mean, I'm, uh, I guess I'm guessing at this point, but it certainly looks like Dane Jackson will not be in a short week. He'll be back on the field before Sunday. So Dane Jackson is injured. Um, Micah Hyde also injured her neck. And if you remember, he had a, an injury similar during training camp, caused him to miss a couple weeks. Anyway, we found out after, uh, on Tuesday that he actually went to ECMC to get checked as well. Uh, Sean McDermott said he was day by day. So we don't know as of right now, anyway, what the status of Micah Hyde is. And you're talking about a second team all pro safety right there. Your first corner. Um, and then two guys that I just talked about. Matt Milano left with the next stinger and Jordan Phillips with the cap. Now, I didn't, it didn't sound to me, and I'm only speaking from the tone of his voice. It didn't seem like Sean McDermott was concerned at all about Matt Milano's stinger. Like, hopefully that's not a, a major thing. But, man, if Jordan Phillips, he left with a calf injury late in, the, in that game against, Arizona, or against Tennessee. I mean, Tim Settle's been bothered by a calf for several weeks now. And given how well Phillips has played, given how impactful Matt Milano is and, and Micah Hyde, it's tough, man. Injuries are definitely mounting up. And of course, that doesn't even count Trey White, who's still not going to be here for at least a couple more weeks. So, I mean, you're going into Miami on Sunday against a very, I don't want to call them a very good team yet, but they're certainly a formidable team. And they're they're most certainly a very dangerous team with, with two elite wide receivers. And you're potentially, in fact, you're likely down Dane Jackson. You're potentially down Mike Hyde behind them. And Matt Milano is a linebacker and pass rush with Phillips. I, I mean, some of these guys got to get, uh, you know, the Bills need to catch a couple breaks when it, com- when it comes to health because these injuries are going to add up. It would be foolish to say that they're not a concern at this point. Anyway, and then the last takeaway is this. Look, we've watched this team twice now and both in prime time. So it's not even just locally Bills fans watching them. This is people all over the country have watched this team twice. And my takeaway is this. Ain't no one beating this team other than themselves. This is the best team in football. We've been hearing about it for months now. This has been the betting favorite, the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Most media people have picked them to win the Super Bowl before the season started. I was a little concerned. I'm sure some of you were as well about this team being not necessarily overrated, but can they handle the uh, absurdly lofty expectations that have been bestowed upon them? Well, the answer after two weeks so far is undoubtedly yes. They're not going to hit the field this season. Not once. I don't think anyway. There won't be a time when the Bills hit the field where they're not the better team on paper. Now, injuries, of course, can change that. They're already wrecking some having. Look, if Josh Allen goes down, that's a wrap. But you could say that for 31 other teams in the NFL, too. If Patrick Mahomes goes down, the Chiefs are done. You know what I'm saying? I can go on and on down the line. I'm not going to do that. But point being, crazy injuries aside, there won't be a week where the Bills hit the field where they're not the better team on paper and they shouldn't win. They may not be, except for possibly when they go into Kansas City in October. The Bills might not be an underdog this entire season. They're the best team on paper and they've looked like the best team on the field for the first two weeks. At the end of the day, these teams have problems that they've played, but look, they played the defending Super Bowl champions on the road in their house to open up the NFL season with their Super Bowl banner going up, and they played the number one seed in the AFC from last year. And they've outscored them 72-17. to 17. That is crazy, folks. 72-17. to 17. And the funniest thing is this. The Bills have not been flawless either. 
Buffalo turned the ball over four times against the Rams, and they still won by three touchdowns. Buffalo had pretty shitty execution and short yardage throughout the Tennessee game, and it just didn't matter. Injuries, it just hasn't mattered yet. This team is really good, and I don't think anyone is going to beat them except themselves. Quick break, come right back. Five quick NFL takeaways, and I'm out of here. Sports fans who like to wager, I'm here to tell you about Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If you're looking for a one stop space on these interwebs to compare odds live up to the minute, Look no further than Odds Trader. Why is Odds Trader so valuable to you? Well, for starters, it's the perfect place to compare betting odds and lines from all the major sports books. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you're liking a team, you want to throw down some cash on them, you're getting your choice of what's getting you the best odds, the best lines. It's a chance to find the highest payouts if you're betting on the underdogs or whether you're profiting the most if you're going with the favorites. Odds Trader also allows you to compare all the different signup codes and promos from the sports books so that you can get the best deal out there for you. If that's not enough, Odds Trader, the app, also gives you player stats, key game stats, injury reports, projected game day weather, which by the way, that could be a huge thing to know in certain situations. Odds Trader also has a betting tracker so they can keep records of all of your games that you have wagers on and all your betting activity. Simply put, Odds Trader gives you quite literally everything you need to make the most informed bets humanly possible. If you're in this betting on sports games, any sport, by the way, make sure you go to oddstrader.com slash blue wire. Again, that's oddstrader.com slash blue wire. Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back. I got quick or five quick uh, NFL takeaways from around the league after watching this weekend, which by the way, if I had my way, the the Buffalo Bills would be playing 17 games Sunday at one o'clock. I don't like night games. I hate primetime games. I hate games that aren't on Sundays, but the the silver lining for sure when Buffalo's not playing Sunday at one o'clock is just being able to sit down, chill, throw on red zone and just watch everything. You get to see a lot. That was pretty cool. Um. Anyway, NFL takeaways. Number one, we've spoke with Miami. Miami's legit. That's my one takeaway. Again, I'm not ready to say that they're a great team, but they are very legit. I have fought, I spent half a Sunday fighting with Bills fans on Twitter who just absolutely refused no matter what to give Tua any credit at all. All day long on Sunday, all of a sudden Baltimore has the worst defense in the NFL according to Bills fans on Twitter, at least some of you anyway. Just ridiculous. Now, I might have overreacted a little bit. I call Baltimore top-tier defense. I said they're elite. They're not. They got a lot of talent on that team, on that defense, man. Good pass rushers. Patrick Queen's one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And on paper, going into the season, they had the best secondary in the NFL. The top-ranked secondary in the NFL, 
according to many publications, mainstream ones, PFF, Sports Illustrated. I know there were a couple others. They're pretty much top five everywhere, right? Anyway, they're playing hurt. Some of the guys are out or they're playing hurt. They're banged up. Just coverage mistakes galore and Miami exposed it. But say what you will, at the end of the day, two and through, 469 yards and six touchdowns and a three-touchdown comeback win at Baltimore, a team that almost everybody considers a legitimate AFC contender this year. 50 pass attempts, 36 completions, two ugly-ass interceptions, but 469 yards, six touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, this is why they spent the money on him and why he wanted to come to Miami. 11 catches, 190 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Waddle, or two touchdowns, I'm sorry. Jalen Waddle, 11 catches, 171, two touchdowns. 262 yards, four touchdowns, 22 receptions between these two wide receivers. This team is legit. This team is dangerous. If you think the Bills are just going to cakewalk to the AFC East, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. The Jets ain't going to stop them. The Patriots ain't going to stop them. I don't think Miami's going to beat them, but Miami's going to have something to say about it. Miami's not going to be a team that wins eight or nine games. Miami's going to win anywhere between 10, 12 games. I'd be willing to bet it at this point. As long as, again, they stay healthy and avoid catastrophic injuries. Right now, if I were doing AFC power rankings, I'd have Buffalo number one in the AFC, of course. I'd have Kansas City right behind them at two. And then I would probably have Miami at three. Some people might say the Chargers. I don't agree. Miami beat Baltimore on the road. They beat New England. Tua and the wide receivers had an incredible game in Baltimore. They're number three in my AFC power rankings right now. So that's one. Conversely, I'm all on on the Indianapolis Colts. And it's funny because I predicted, I did my season predictions right before the season started. And I'm looking like an idiot already because my bold prediction was, one of my NFL bold predictions was that the Colts would be no worse than the two seed in the AFC. And that's just looking ridiculous. I'm all out on the Colts because Matt Ryan is utterly washed up. He's terrible. They lose 24-0 to the Jags. I watched a lot of that game. Matt Ryan was 16 for 30, 195 yards, three touchdowns. He was sacked five times. He looked like a statue out there. It was one of the worst quarterback games I've seen in quite a long time. And then he just, you know, they're chock full of talent. The offensive line was, was supposed to be good. They don't look good now, but good offensive line, an elite running back, pretty good receivers, and plenty of talent on defense. But this team looks like shit. The quarterback looks awful. And I'm starting to wonder, as much as I like Frank Reich, and I do love Frank Reich. I mean, what Buffalonian does not like Frank Reich? Is he made to be an NFL head coach? I don't know. I mean, I, I personally, it's probably more on Colts management right now because they keep getting shitty quarterback, veteran quarterback after shitty veteran quarterback. When are you going to learn? Carson Wentz was not the answer. And it's only taken two games. You know, Matt Ryan is not the answer either. So I'm all out on the Colts. That's my second takeaway. My third you know, again, and if I'm surprised by this. I, the Bengals spent really, really good money on the Lake Collins and Alex Tappa and Ted Karras. This offensive line was supposed to be completely rebuilt. The Cincinnati Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year. Could have won the Super Bowl. And the one knock on them, the one major flaw, the one weakness is their offensive line and protecting Joe Burrow was trash. So they go out and they sign three really proven veterans. And I'll tell you what, two games in, they're trash. I don't, what, what is it? You come to Cincinnati and you don't know how to block anymore? Joey Burrow's been sacked 13 times in the first two games. Both losses too, by the way. The Bengals are 0-2. 13 sacks in two games for Joey Burrow. And again, this is after spending a fortune on three linemen, not to mention they have a, a former first-round pick in Jonah Williams on the line, too. I don't know why this offensive line, again, I haven't watched a lot of Cincinnati Bengals football these first two weeks, but I do know that they cannot protect, protect Joe Burrow, and I don't care who you are, a quarterback. If you're running for your life, 
you're not going to have any kind of sustained success. The Bengals are rolling with two, by the way. You know, is it a Super Bowl hangover? I don't know. But they spent really good money for an offensive line that is not getting it done. And add 0-2, when you're in a conference with teams like Buffalo and Kansas City, no, you're in trouble already. Uh, two more things. Number one, we'll talk about the Jets. Look, the Jets aren't ready to contend by any means. I don't think they're going to be any kind of factor in the AFC East this year. But they're a fun team to watch. And I've watched plenty of them these first two weeks, man. They got some really nice young core players. That Garen Wilson, Garen Wilson reminds me a little bit of Stephon Diggs. I'm not going to go comparing a rookie two games into his career to Stephon Diggs. That's a little ridiculous, but dude, this kid is good. Eight catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns against the Browns in that crazy comeback win. He's a good football player, man. He's going to be a problem for the Bills. He's going to be a problem for teams around the league, but this is a guy that the Bills are going to have to go against twice a year. Not going to be no easy task. And I like Brees Hall, the running back. Now, of course, a lot of Bills fans know that name because there was a lot of speculation, a lot of uh, thought that the Bills might go running back in the first round and take Brees Hall. Ultimately, of course, they didn't. They took James Cook in the second. But anyway, Brees Hall had 50 yards on the ground against the Browns and, and a touchdown uh, a touchdown reception too. So, you know, you got two key components there on offense. And, and by the way, Joey Flacco, you know, as much as I want to laugh and make fun, I'll tell you what, he played really good against the Browns, man. He's airing the shit out of the ball. Playing well. Jets aren't good. That's my point here. Yet. Not very good anyway, but they're also, they're not a complete pushover and it looks like they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Those Bills-Jets games should be, uh, they should make for, for good TV. Anyway, all right, last point here. Staying in, these are all in the AFC. Kansas City Chiefs ain't going anywhere. That That's my point here. We we wrote them off. Nah, nah, maybe that's a, an exaggeration. A lot of people thought the Chiefs were going to suffer by losing Tyreek Hill. Like, that was a major blow. And ultimately, come big games, come playoffs, maybe it will be. But right now, this team don't look like they're going anywhere. They're 2-0. Two impressive wins, too, by the way. They won on the road by 13 points at Arizona. And then they came home. They won a tough, hard-fought game against the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, this past week, last Thursday, two impressive, tough wins, 71 points. So again, Tyreek Hill, not there so far, no problem. 71 points in two games, only one less point than the Bills have scored. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, again, a lot of people like to anoint Josh Allen as the best quarterback in the NFL. And I've said this all along, let's pump the brakes a little bit on that because Patrick Mahomes is there. It's Josh, it's Pat Mahomes. Flip a coin if you want. I love both players. I do. I'm just being honest. But anyway, Pat Mahomes has been outstanding these first two games. 73% of his passes have been completed. 595 yards, seven touchdowns, and no interceptions. Although, to be fair, I think watching that Chargers game, not I think, I know, the Chargers dropped at least two or three interceptions. So again, stats can be conceiving. Mahomes hasn't been perfect. He's thrown some interceptable balls, whereas I think Josh Allen, who did throw two interceptions against the Rams, has been more consistent throwing the football well. But anyway, my point is Mahomes still looks elite. Uh, Travis Kelsey, 13 catches, 172 yards already over the first two games. And again, so how are you going to replace Tyreek Hill when you're not? But they're spreading the ball around pretty well so far. Um, McCole Hardman, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, they all have at least a half dozen catches so far through the first two games for the Chiefs. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is catching the ball out of the backfield, and his defense looks pretty good. Pass rush looks pretty good. Frank Clark doesn't have any sacks yet, but he's causing a lot of havoc. And again, I watched the Chiefs plenty these first two weeks. Chris Jones is back. He's healthy. He wasn't really healthy for most of last year. He's already got two sacks in two games. So yeah, man, the Chiefs ain't going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. It is every year. If you take the Phantom out, I know it's heartbreaking and it sucks that the Bills have lost it. The Chiefs twice in a row in the playoffs. But you want to talk about fun football, not just in Buffalo and Kansas City, but for, for folks around the league to watch. 
And the Bills play the Chiefs on October 16th, man. It's going to be another great one. And I think it's going to be a really good race in the AFC. I think right now, again, there's other teams like um, Miami and Baltimore, even though they, they lost last week, or even the Chargers. They're going to have plenty to say about it. But it still looks to me like the Bills and the Chiefs so far early on are definitely the class of uh, the AFC. Anyway, all right, that's going to do it for today. Those are my 10 Bills takeaways and my five NFL takeaways from week two. Normally, I'd be like, I'll be back on Friday or whatever, and I might be back on Friday. I honestly, I don't know. I might have an episode tomorrow if I if I get a guest, the right guest anyway, and the right topics. Might not be the next week. I don't know. But regardless, thank you very much as always for listening. Um, again, you can follow, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets, which by the way, I'm always talking about the podcast on there, updates, promos, upcoming guests, stuff like that. But anyway... Thank you very much, very, very much for listening. I've talked so much over these 45 minutes that I'm literally starting to stumble over my own words. Anyway, thank you, and I'll be back. uh, Talk to you guys soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.